So we're landing the plane today. Um, if you um, uh, haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, uh, make sure you check out the first three messages um, on our website uh, or YouTube channel. You can also find it on your favorite podcast app. But um, we're wrapping this up today. I want to let you know where we're going over the next couple weeks, okay? So next week, um, Chris Stewart from The Bridge is gonna be with us. Um, If you have been around Grace Point, you know Chris Stewart, you know The Bridge. If you haven't, next week would be a great time for you to come uh, to meet Chris, to hear a little bit more about The Bridge and their their mission, their ministry here um, in Topeka. And then two weeks from today, uh, we're gonna start a new series called Different. Uh, maybe you've heard the question or a question like it, don't all, aren't all religions the same? Like, don't we worship the same God just with a different name and different cultural practices? Like, what's really the difference between all the different religions of the world? We're going to try and answer that question, um, again, starting in two weeks. So that's what's coming, uh, but we're wrapping up this series today. And I want to start with a question about um, cars getting stuck in snow. Okay, how many of you, show of hands, have ever helped somebody get their car unstuck from snow? Yeah, it happens every now and then here in Kansas. We don't get tons and tons of snow uh, like Colorado or the northern states, but it does happen enough to where we know what it's like to help somebody get unstuck from snow. Um, my very, the very first ski trip that I led as a youth pastor here at Grace Point was going great until we hit the foothills of the Rockies. Going, you know, going on I-70, and all of a sudden we get into the foothills, and guys, I have never seen snowflakes this big in my life. But they started hitting our windshield. I'm like, we are in trouble. Like some of you, you let your babies come with me, and I was a baby. What were you thinking, right? And we get stuck. Like they closed I-70, We had to stay in a church that night. It was terrible, but we had to stay in a church. We didn't have to buy hotel rooms, right? But we had to stay in a church that night, and we woke up the next morning. You can ask Ryan Ritchie. You can ask Alan Taylor. You can ask Holly Gabriel. You can ask my wife. The snow was almost all the way up to the windows on the vans. I have never seen so much snow in my life. But during the night, they got I-70 cleared off. We actually bought some chains for the tires of the vans, the two 15-passenger vans full of teenagers. Have I mentioned that part yet? (laughs) We get on I-70 towards Aspen Snowmass area. We're going great. And I think we had to take a stop or something. And there was an off-ramp that hadn't been cleared yet. I'm thinking, oh, we can get up. We We can do this. We couldn't do it. The vans got stuck, and it was the kind of stuck where I just wanted to leave the vans and walk away and come back in July when it all melted. (laughs) Like, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Like, you know what it's like to get a car unstuck from snow. Do you know how difficult it is to get 15 passenger vans unstuck from snow full of teenagers? It's not easy, right? And it's even more difficult when you get stuck. And no, I'm not talking about vehicles anymore. The amount of energy, the amount of effort it takes when you're stuck to get unstuck, it's it's like astronomical. In today's story, the Israelites are stuck. 
And they're stuck primarily through the influence of the royal couple, Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab is king of Israel. Um, Jahab is, uh, or Jezebel is from uh, Phoenicia. They, their, their marriage is a political alliance. Um, and Jezebel, it's going great, right? Everything's good. But the problem was Jezebel brought her God with her into the marriage. When the two become one, that includes their religion. And so the, the, the god Baal was Jezebel's god, and um, their Baal worship had already existed in Israel up until this point, but Jezebel was, was like a, a, she was like a Baal missionary. She's a Baal evangelist, right? And if you remember, Baal is the god of fertility, so Baal was the God that you worshiped. Baal was the God you trusted for the rain that would get your crops to grow, that would give you food for your family, that would make your orchards and your vineyards prosperous. To worship Baal is putting your faith in him for a prosperous, fertile life. And Jezebel worshiped Baal. And she was a missionary. She was an evangelist for Baal. She subsidized 450 prophets of Baal for Israel, and at the same time made the worship of Yahweh illegal. And if you were a prophet of God during this time in Israel, you were more than likely hiding in a cave because it was illegal for you to do your job. Your job as the prophet of God was to do everything you could to get the people to turn their hearts back to the Lord. And in this era, the national religion of Israel was Baal worship. And in ancient Israel, you couldn't get any more stuck than that. And onto the scene comes Elijah. And Elijah's a prophet. He's God's prophet, and his, he has one responsibility, to get the people from stuck to started. To get them from stuck to unstuck. His job is to help them to re-engage with God, which is the same opportunity some of us have today. Because stuckness, that, that's not something that just existed in ancient Israel. People still get stuck today. Um, I see a lot of people today stuck in apathy. They just don't care. They, they've joined the ranks of the terminally cynic. Right? They, they, they just stopped caring. They're stuck in apathy. It's not, um, it's not uncommon to see people stuck in despair these days. It's the condition that you just can't foresee a hopeful future. Like disappointing things come and go in life. Everybody knows that. But despair, it just kind of sits, just kind of camps out. There's a lot of people stuck in despair. Um, there's a lot of people stuck in the activity that became the behavior that led to the habit that's an addiction. A lot of people stuck in that. You're stuck and you don't know how to get unstuck from the behavior that you just wandered into. Like you didn't mean to go there, but you wandered into it and now it's an addiction. And if, you're, if you find yourself stuck in any of those ways or any other way, here's what I want you to hear today. Today's story is about a people who went from stuck to unstuck, from stuck to started. And, and we're going to talk about four things. Like four experiences that I think people experience whenever they move from stuck to started. These, these, are, these are not comprehensive. This is not formulaic. 
Um, it's, it's, it's not necessarily one after the other. I'm not saying these are the only experiences, but these are four experiences that I have noticed that a lot of people go through to move from stuck to started. And the first one, the first experience, the first thing that people usually experience when they go from stuck to started is drought. This is where it starts. Um, the people of Israel had sold themselves out to Baal, the God who was in charge of rain, who was in charge of prosperity, right? And Eliza shows up in front of King Ahab, and here's what he says to them, or says to him in 1 Kings 17. He says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, which are words that could have gotten him killed right then and there, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Elijah drops the mic, turns around, and runs to another country. Right? They can't find him. They look for him, but they can't find him. And, and year one comes, they plant seed, but there's no rain and no harvest. Year two, they plant seed, but there's no rain and there's no harvest. Year three, do you even have any seed to plant? And, and, and in America, like we experience droughts from time to time, but we're so interconnected with the rest of the world. We're so rich. We still have access to food. That was not the case for Israel because no rain meant no grain, meant no bread. Grapes are mostly water. What happens to your vineyard if you don't get rain for three years? Like this, this drought is God withdrawing his blessing from his people. And I hinted at this last week. All kinds of difficulties, all kinds of nasty things that happen in life that don't have anything to do with God withdrawing his blessing. Like a car accident, a cancer diagnosis, financial loss, that does not equal God's discipline in your life. It's not necessarily related to your behavior, to our behavior. And sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. Israel goes all in with Baal. The rain stops, the drought starts. This is disciplinary. A question, what kind of drought can God send into his people's life when they defy, disobey, and ignore him? Any kind he wants. It's not to pay them back. It's not to pay his people back. It's to win them back. What kind of drought can God send into the life of his people? Any kind he wants. And and there's an emotional reaction in some of us when we hear that. Because it goes something like this. Tim, I just don't believe God would do that. God's love, it's unconditional. Like, remember the story Jesus told about the prodigal son? When the, command, the kid demanded his inheritance, basically told his dad, I wish you were dead. Can I just have my inheritance now? He takes his inheritance, runs off to a distant land, burns through the cash, all in wild living, you know, ends up starving, ends up eating with the pigs. He wakes up one day and realizes, I'm going to be better off as a servant in my dad's household than I am here. So I'm going to go home. Father embraces him. His arms are open wide. We just sang it, Tim. Right? Like, that's my God. Unconditional love. Absolutely. 
But let's retrace a couple things in the story. Luke 15, if you want to. Kid asks for his inheritance, goes to a distant land, burns through the cash. Then there was a famine in the land. Huh. It wasn't until the famine that he realized he always had the love of the father, but he wasn't enjoying the blessing of the father's household. He had the unconditional love of the father, but it wasn't until the famine that he woke up and realized, I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to go home. And it was then that he experienced the blessing and embrace of the father. God's love is unconditional. Yes, absolutely. But his blessing is not. When we run from, when we defy when we ignore, when we disobey, what kind of drought can he send into our lives any kinds he wants? And the drought usually leads to the second experience. We'll call this decision. The, the prodigal son decided to go home. So year three of the drought in Israel, Elijah calls for a gathering. Um, and where the gathering takes place is just as important as the gathering itself. He calls them to Mount Carmel, okay? Now, when I was in Israel, I, I'd always envision Mount Carmel as this one big lone mountain. But Mount Carmel is actually more like an 11-mile ridge line. And this is just one of the prominent points. And, and calling them to Mount Carmel, it's not just what you see when you look at Mount Carmel, it's what you see when you look from Mount Carmel. So you ready for my videography skills? Here it is. This is what I saw when I stood on top of Mount Carmel. That's the Jezreel Valley. This lush, you know, fertile land, like agricultural breadbasket. At least that's what it was supposed to look like in, in Elijah's day. But three years, no rain. It just looked like baked earth. So think about this. He calls the people to a physical geographic spot where they could see with their own eyes the devastation of their disobedience. And on that hillside, Elijah calls for a decision. We're in 1 Kings 18 now. He says this in verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, how long? It's been three years. Like, you guys want to keep going? How long? Will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Sounds a lot like Joshua's address, doesn't it? Like, if Baal is God, go for it. Hasn't been going real well for him lately. Lightning God hasn't been sending a whole lot of lightning, has he? But if Baal is God, go all in with him. If the Lord is God, go all in with him. But you can't do both. Doing both. You can't follow both. Um... Think about this in terms of a wedding. Like it's, it's usually the, the pastor or the priest that goes through the vows. Like that, that's the part where I say, you know, repeat after me. I take you as my wedded wife to have and to hold for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, right? I want you to imagine during the vows, a bride looking past her groom to the best man. Oh, I'm sorry. Forsaking all others till death do me part. You're going to walk away from that wedding going, don't think those two are going to make it. Right? 
do you know what God wants most? Like, do you, do you know what God is most interested in? Jesus was asked this question. They didn't use the same wording. They asked him, what's the greatest commandment? But that's not what he, they were after. They wanted to know what God wanted most. Jesus answered their question, Mark 12, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That feels exclusive to me. What does God want most? Just all of you. <laughs> Much like the bride and groom make a decision to be exclusive with each other and to give all of themselves to each other for the rest of their life. So Elijah stands on the hillside and says, make a decision. The Lord is God, put him at the center of everything. Give him your all. If Baal is God, put him at the center of everything and give him your all. Just stop going back and forth. And you know what the people said? Exactly what you just said. Nothing. They were silent. And I don't know if they were confused. I don't know if they were conflicted. I don't know if they didn't know what to do or what to believe. And Elijah's job is to get them from stuck to started. So he says, let's try this. Let's have a little God contest. You 400 plus prophets of Baal, set up an altar, slice up the ox, put it on the altar with some wood, and then you guys pray to Baal. No match is allowed because he's the lightning God. Surely he'll send lightning down on your sacrifice. I'll do the same. I'll pray to my God, and whichever God sends fire on our offering, that'll be our God. What do you think? And, and I'd love to be in the audience that day because like, yeah, I kind of want to see this, <laughs> right? This is the third experience. Not a God contest. We're going to call this exposure. This is when Elijah exposes the counterfeit God. So the prophets of Baal go first. They build their altar, put the sliced up ox on it. They go for hours pleading for some good barbecue, right? Lightning God, please send lightning down on our sacrifice. This is how it went. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us. They shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. And I love this part. It's one of my favorite parts of scripture. Elijah steps in. He just starts taunting them. He starts making fun of them at noon. Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder. Like maybe he needs to turn up his hearing aids. Surely he's a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. He's a grandpa God. He's taking a morning nap. He just taunts them, right? And this goes on. For three more hours, they get more revved up. And they start plea, they start cutting themselves with knives, but there's no response. He's exposing Baal as the counterfeit God that he is. And you say, Tim, thank you so much. I promise I won't dance and pray and cut myself before Baal this week. Let's just pray and go home, right? It's a good start. But here's what I want to say about this God is still at work exposing counterfeit gods. And here's how I think it works. I'll just speak for myself for a minute. I am a bottomless pit of need and desire. I'm a bottomless pit of needs and desires 
which means I have to tap in to an infinite well of fullness. Some of you, uh, you were born and raised in homes with little to no affirmation, and you're starving for approval as adults. You're an affirmation junkie. There's such a bottomless pit of affirmation that no good word is good enough for you. No praise from man is good enough for you. That won't fill the bottomless pit. Success. Um, I was talking to a a, a friend of mine a couple months ago about his work and and my work and how his year was going. And he told me, just kind of nonchalantly, how he and his team had generated multi-millions of dollars for their company. And while I was trying to process that, like multi-million dollars of revenue for your company, here's what he said, just kind of nonchalantly. Yeah, but January 1, the odometer goes back to zero. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Hey, you hit 300 last year? Awesome. Do it again. You made the traveling team? Fantastic. Do it again. You graduated all your students this year? Way to go. Do it again. Here's how it looks in my world for a second. Tim, you had 900 people at Easter services this year? Wow. Do it again. Do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. No success is successful enough to fill some of us because we're a bottomless pit of need and desire. I've never met the person who said, yeah, I got a raise back in 2013. I'm good. I'm good. No, you get the raise, you celebrate it, and then it's like, I kind of want another one. No financial security is secure enough. We're bottomless pit of need and desire. Hey, no sculpted body. Let's talk about this. It's January. No sculpted body is sculpted enough for some of us. Like there are, there are men and women we would identify as beautiful human beings by the way we measure beauty in our culture in this generation. And those very people that we view as stunningly beautiful look at themselves in the mirror and see imperfections. It's possible that we're such bottomless pits of need and desire that no beauty is beautiful enough. Those who chase, you know, erotic sexual experiences, whether online or in person, they're never full. Never gets to the point where they go, I'm done, I'm good, I've had enough. No, it's just more, more, more. Why do I keep going back to that? You're a bottomless pit of need and desire, and the only way out is to tap into an endless, infinite well of fullness. Let me push on something else that's relatively new. Some of you get this adrenaline rush when you place a bet, and now it's in the palm of your hand. You'll hit it again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and then you have to explain to a very important person in your life where all the money went. That adrenaline rush will never fill you. It's a bottomless pit of need and desire, and God is still in the business of exposing counterfeit gods. 
This is what Elijah's doing. He's exposing the false God they'd put their hope in. And their first experience was drought. Second experience was decision. Third experience was exposure. The fourth experience of those who moved from stuck to started, I, I, I just call it anticipating the blessing of God. Like waiting for the blessing of God. Um, something very tender here. Like we don't get it because we're just reading a passage. There's something very tender that happens after the taunting and dancing and cutting. Elijah says, come to the altar. Come here. Come in close. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. So apparently there's this old altar on the hillside that used to be used to offer sacrifices to Yahweh. And notice, it doesn't say that it fell down. It doesn't say that it wore out. It said it was systematically dismantled. And then they rebuild the altar. And Elijah prays. I love this prayer. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Fire falls from the sky consumes the sacrifice, consumes the altar, consumes, here's an interesting part, consumes all the water that Elijah had poured over the sacrifice after three years of drought. And here's how the people responded. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. I bet they did. And they cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And by default, Baal is not. This is, this is the prodigal coming home moment. This is God getting their heart. This is them returning their whole self. They wanted to be with him, the Lord. He is God. But that's not all. It didn't end there. Um, Elijah separates himself from the people. He goes to the other end of the hillside. He faces towards the Mediterranean Sea instead of the Jezreel Valley, puts his face to the ground and begins to pray for rain. And the clouds start to roll in. And it starts to rain. This dry ground soaks up the water. It's a sign of the return of the blessing right? That the people are returning to the Lord and he's returning the blessing to them. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. When a man or woman finds themselves moving from stuck to started, it's oftentimes because they crave the restored blessing of God in their lives. It's, it's oftentimes they believe that it's on the heart of God. The Father is waiting, watching for them to come home. It's on the heart of God to bless them in a thousand unexpected ways. They honestly believe that. What kind of drought can God send when I'm disobedient and I ignore and I defy any kinds he wants? What kind of blessing can he send? Any kind he wants any kind he wants, but it's the heart that's looking for 
It's the heart that's longing for it, that expects it, that God sends. So let's finish where we started, stuck in the snow. When, when you get stuck, like really stuck, the work of getting unstuck, it's not easy. It can take an incredible amount of work, incredible amount of effort. And it might start with God withholding his blessing, realizing we don't want to live that way anymore, and lead to a decision, I just want to go home. <laughs> I just want to go home. It often includes exposing our counterfeit gods because they just can't fill us. Fitness won't do it. Success won't do it. Money won't do it. Being an affirmation junkie won't do it. And as soon as we realize that, we just wait. We're patient for the restored blessing in a thousand unexpected ways. This is a story of people who were wildly lost, but they were restored to God. It's a story of people moving from stuck to started. And my question today is, is this your story? Can it be your story today? And I just want to remind you, Hebrews 3.15, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If he's whispered to you, if he's nudging you, don't harden, soften, open your heart, and watch. Watch what he does over the next days and weeks and months, and then just take a step. Just take another step, and then take another step, and then the more steps you take, the more you'll realize, I'm, I'm just following. Take a step. Take another step, take another step. My hope, my prayer today is that many of us would take a step, whatever that looks like, and that you would find yourself moving from really, really, really stuck to started. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you for your people. God, this lands in so many different places for so many different people. <laughs> and my prayer is simply that you would work through your spirit in the hearts of my friends. To get them back on the road to start it, regardless of what they've done. Regardless of where they've been that they would know that they know that they know that you're a good father and you're waiting for them to come home. And regardless of what it takes to get them there, regardless of what it takes for them to start with a step, Father, I pray that you would do it. I pray that they would receive it as grace. And they would leave this place knowing you're with them, you're for them, and that your yoke is easy. And I pray it all in the name of the one who said this, in the name of the one who says this. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.